The Rigger Gambling Feed is back every Monday. Join myself, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, and John Dostoevsky for East Coast Bias. Sunday's action recap and our favorite bets for Monday Night Football. Then on Tuesday, we got the Roster Diamond Show where I'll break down everything you need to know in the betting world. Plus, the East Coast Bias Boys will be back on Thursday to help you get your betting card sorted ahead of all the NFL action. And then on Fridays, it's me back with Warren Sharp, deep diving into the analytics. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the mismatch presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in person in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. Today's episode is brought to you by Prime Video. Uncontrollable frowning, an inability to smile, an expression like you just smelled something rotten. These are all signs of resting binge face caused by too many streaming services. But Prime Video ends resting binge face so you can smile again. Easily find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds, and Snakes. Get everything included on Prime. And add hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Sphere, Kevin Verno! You're back in Memphis, I'm back in L.A., but it was fun recording with you in Vegas. It was. It was fun to be in Las Vegas. Let's do a little wrap-up on that. We were both out at the in-season tournament. I was there for the first games uh, and then the missed the finals, which was the Lakers and the Pacers. The Lakers ended up winning the in-season tournament and I had an unbelievable transcendent game out of Anthony Davis. Uh, big contribution from Austin Reeves, and obviously LeBron James is he is defying Father Time uh, to say the least, and is still one of the best players in the entire NBA. And certainly, I think they sent a message that when the games matter deeply and they really want to win, that team has an extra notch that they can crank it up to. We saw them. That was a that was a closer game probably than the final score would indicate. Uh, you know, it's a bucket game with you know about six minutes left, but they ended up winning by double digits. And of course, they had killed the Pelicans in the game before that. And I think it was a bit of a message that this is still a team 
that when we come around to the spring, you're going to want no part of as a potential playoff matchup. What were you left thinking about? Exactly that, Chris. Um, I mean, I like the first of all, 80, it was a masterclass game from him offensively with the 39 points defensively uh, as part of a, a linchpin in the Lakers defense with the blitzing and the trapping against Tyrese Halliburton, the rim protection, cleaning up penetration went from the Pacers when they did again inside. He was absolutely transcendent for the Lakers in that game. But overall, I thought that the game plan entirely was perfectly executed by the Lakers in that game. Cam Reddish pressuring full court against Halliburton, slowing their, down their offense. And sometimes it was Reddish. Sometimes it was collectively the team, the way they were containing transition opportunities, you know, building a wall uh, to take a Stan Van Gundy phrase against Halliburton when he was starting to get going, trying to push the pace. Just overall, the, the Lakers defense perfectly executed the plan to contain Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that's been on an absolutely unbelievable run. And I think with the Lakers, they showed the formula for one of the things that they can do during the postseason. They can play different styles. Um, they have uh, amazing personnel. And with them, like they don't have some of the guys that have proven it during the postseason, like Caruso and KCP during their 2020 run to the finals. But there's those vibes with their defense uh, as a team that could potentially make a deep run there. So I, I think if you're, if you're a Lakers fan that watched the tournament games, um, seeing the way they prepared in a, a playoff-like setting uh, has to increase optimism for the team's odds of making a run. Yeah, I think that they can, you know, and we have seen the teams that play big and the teams that play small and what a huge problem the teams that play big are for the teams that play small. For sure. Like Orlando, mm -hmm. like uh, the Lakers, like the team with the best uh, record in the league uh, in Minnesota. OKC, and, the younger team. Yeah, and and... and they can well. OKC doesn't like they don't um, rebound. They yeah, don't rebound. Uh, sure. I, I guess a different type. I would of put way. them in the smaller class. Well, you know? like, how about how about I guess maybe there's like the the wider, heavier teams, and then there's the longer teams. Yeah, like like OKC is in, in the longer category. But if you're plotting them all by like wingspan and weight, then yeah. sure, like they they don't have the weight. But these teams, like the ones that are the big ones, you're just going to have to outshoot them. And this was something that Indiana wasn't able to pull off because they are just going to pummel you on on the backboards. You know, it's it's we shoot, uh, we get the ball, you shoot, we get the ball. And it just makes it your margin of error is so thin and you're really going to have to outshoot these teams and punish them for being big. You've got to have somebody that can pull Anthony Davis away from the basket. You've got to have somebody that can pull Rudy Gobert away from the basket. You've got to have somebody that can, because otherwise, if you're going to play half-court basketball against this team, you know, it's going to be a, it's a hard bargain because you got to just shoot the three so well against them. And I think it was a bit instructive. You're talking about how they guarded Halliburton. You saw how many times this this reddish being a point of attack defender has worked out famously uh, in in some segments. And you saw when they set that screen for him and he's going to come around the screen, bam, trap. I mean, they trapped him like 20-something times in that game. And but I think that's, that's part of it, Chris. Like they, like they were willingly moving True. 80 away from the basket. Right? Like, right. like, like you were but willing to trap him. Yeah, to trap him. And, and yet they, it didn't, 
just completely destroy the Lakers well, defense. Because you're so oh. long. Yeah, you're, you're, like, once, exactly. That's the thing. Like yep. the trap. Like I watched like, and say, LeBron, last night. And LeBron, like, as the help defender down low, when the screener, Miles Turner, a lot of the times would roll into the room and it was LeBron there to meet him. LeBron right. was fighting his butt off in that game. And, and like the activity, the intensity, he had some steals when Halliburton would throw to the roller. Uh, I thought like every piece of the Lakers defense was perfect. So it's going to be very interesting to see because their trap, their ability to get the ball out of the guy's hands, because they're like six nine, seven foot, and their arms are everywhere. Like I see this happening. You see it sometimes with Jokic. I watched it last night with the small team in Memphis try to do it against Luca. And if you're not big and you're not like your ha- arms are everywhere. He's just going to stand over you, pass over you, and pick you apart. Like, you have to have, like, that's one thing about the trap. It's fascinating because Luca is playing against the Lakers tonight. So I'll be interested to see, you know, he ain't got much going with him. Uh, So the idea is try to get the ball out of his hands as much as you can. And I bet they're going to employ some of that stuff that we saw against Halliburton against Luca. But their trap is. You know, a lot of teams try to do it to the best player on the other team. Theirs is super effective because it is so hard to pass around. You can't just make the clear vision pass to the open shooter uh, because those guys are so big. And it's the luxury of having Reddish being able to be long. And he's like embraced that role pretty well as a point of attack defender. Um, They look good. They look very, very good. And that Indiana team, you know, you're going to have to hope you can either outshoot somebody or not play somebody with real size because they're, sure. they're deficient in that area. Well, and I think with Indiana, we talked about it on the podcast we recorded in Vegas where we said, why didn't the Bucks, you know, right. force it inside more often? The Lakers, they, they did use their size to their advantage um, over the Pacers. And I felt with Indiana, they clearly need more size across the board. They need more size at the wing position with Aaron Neesmith, who as much as I like him and is as good as I thought Neesmith was throughout the entire tournament, he's only six foot five, and he's your guy defending Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right. LeBron James. He's just too small for that role. And, and then in the front court with Miles Turner. Turner's good, but he's not never been the, the toughest interior guy, the toughest rebounder. Um, they, they need to get bigger. And also, I think the fact that the Pacers didn't have a great counter against that Lakers blitz the trap in the pick and roll against Halliburton, it does show how much they need another secondary ball handler. And you would hope Benedict Matherin can be the guy who develops into that over the course of time. But he's still only in the second year, even though he's had some good moments, including last night, uh, including in Saturday, he was good. He's still super, super inconsistent and hasn't proven he can be that guy yet. So I well, think do you remember that, it was Nemhard last year that was yeah, a problem against the Lakers? But I mean, course. he's hurt. Yeah, and also he's like 6'2". Like he's still smaller. So I think I think that's part of the reason why you're hearing Indiana about a team for like a Pascal Siakam because mm. then he's a bigger guy. He, he's long and he can handle the ball. So I think I think you know Andy can play with Halliburton. You can do two man game stuff with Halliburton and Siakam. So I think that's why you're going to see Indiana, you know, flirting for another trade because they traded for Halliburton. They traded for the guy. Now they're going to have to tr- make another trade to find 
the other guy. It was super fascinating to see how this in-season tournament played out, and I think both of us would consider it a great success for the maiden voyage. One of the things I loved also was the attention that they got on Indiana. Not only Halliburton, who is on his way to superstardom, uh, but also mm-hmm. like even just seeing all those press conferences and everything, and hearing those guys talk like that. Uh, you know, personalities that you don't normally see get some kind of a big stage you saw uh miles turner talking about how like you know we're not really i think it was him talking about like they're not we're not really hollywood and we're just like we embody indiana we just grab our lunch pails and go to work whatever and then halliburton jokes you know you're wearing like sunglasses and no shirt underneath your jacket (laughs) you know and then you have uh miles turner correcting one of the media members asking him about playing with Legos. And he said, I do not play play with Legos. I build Legos, (laughs) right? And it's like, these are things you get to see aside of the personalities of some of these (laughs) players. And I do think that that's why I think for a lot of teams, you know, we, we talked about how we were happy that the players cared about this this year. I think not only the money, I think the players also saw what a big deal was made out of this thing and what a big stage everybody got put on, that they were like center stage of the NBA universe. And I think that encourages players as well and teams as well going forward to really want to be a part of that. You know what I mean? I think they looked at it and go like, hey, like I want to do that next year, right? I want to be the ones that are on the podium that are on all these viral videos from a media availability uh, and on and on. And so I think that was I think that was good that we had a small market team that people don't know that much about and we learned a lot about them because we always see LeBron at a podium and Giannis at a podium and Tatum at a podium, right? Like we we started to learn a little bit more about one of the good stories in the league and also I think if I'm a player, I watched that all play out and thought, "Man, like Maybe I'll maybe maybe those first couple of in season tournament games that we didn't really understand what was going on, whatever. Now it's now there's a clear vision of what happens when you do well in that thing. And I think players are going to want to win it even more next year. I do, too. I do, too. Um, I think for year one, the ratings aren't as high as I think the league would have hoped for. Ideally, it isn't like an instant hit, but it was an instant hit with the core audience. Um, I, I, uh, from an anecdotal perspective, I thought it was interesting talking to, you know, peer media members about say, Hey, what do you think? And the amount of times I heard somebody say, well, I was skeptical about the whole thing, but after watching the games the past month, especially this week, I really like it. So I think, I think that's a perspective shared by, you know, friends who are, you know, fans, not media, um, that I've heard from like a lot of different people that they like it now and they get it now. So for the, I think that's where it's as a success in year one. Somebody, I had this in my article, like my Monday winners and losers things in my ringer. I like somebody said to me over the weekend, I think I had talked to them Thursday before the games on Thursday. I was like, Hey, like it seems like ratings aren't that different for the knockout round games compared to you know regular regular season games and and the person said to me they're like yeah but like where the way we're thinking about it is this sets a baseline it's about year over year how does how does interest increase with the tournament games 
So obviously you want it to be a hit in year one, but seeing it increase year to year, I think that's what's going to be interesting. And I think that maybe fan interest could reflect player understanding that you're talking about now that everybody gets it. Um, depending on the tweaks they make next year, if if it's even more consumable, more understandable, maybe this thing gets even bigger next year. Personally, what I would like to see, Chris, is I think I think they should just carve out like a two-week length of the season where every game is a group stage game rather than going like just Tuesdays and Fridays over the full month of November are, you know, the group play games mm-hmm. like they did this year. I think you should make it consistent over a, sh- a certain stretch of the season to to me that would that would like make it feel more like uh, like an aside from the season if that makes sense kind of more of something on a national stage because I think this year I didn't I personally didn't feel the build up to the finale on Saturday it felt very sudden it was like Monday and Tuesday was the best of eight Thursday was the final four and then Saturday was the final finale it was like over the course of six days. And I think if you have the two week, two weeks straight of group play games, and then you have the knockout rounds over like a three week period of the season, that would make it feel so much more rewarding when you get to that mm. fina- final matchup. So I know the rather is, than kind of interspaced yes. with other games that quote don't matter as bingo. Much. And, and yeah. I think the league is that they are have everything's on the table. The when when the games are played, when the tournament happens how groups are determined. You know, th- this year we have a six groups of five teams each. Next year, those six groups of five teams could just be the divisions rather than, you know, based off last year's standings. Next year, it could be, you know, five groups of six teams like Bill Simmons is pitching. Um, like he, uh, he had a tweet earlier this week and I never right. talked about it on his podcast talking about having that group st- size and then you have three wild cards. You could go without conferences. They, uh, they're gonna they, they're gonna consider changing the point differential tiebreaker. Um, again, I know Bill mentioned having you know quarters one is the first tiebreaker instead, which I'm intrigued by. But the league is gonna consider some of these tweaks um, over the next year to optimize it even more. But I think for year one, it's without a, a doubt a a big success, and I would expect it to even build more entering year two next year. And I'm excited about that, man. I'm I'm very glad, and I'm glad the Lakers are gonna hang like a some little you know banner. It's not gonna be a champion banner, but I do think this thing is going to matter over the course of time. I know, I know, I've always been the person like, 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 yeah, like let's let's make changes and let's you know spice up the season calendar. But I really believe this thing year to year, it's going to grow with importance and it's going to become something that fans care about winning and that players care about winning, even besides the money. Because who doesn't like single elimination? This week was fun. That's right. I and I am pro as uh, as I talked about even before this thing started more single elimination if there was a way for you to advance out of your group with a knockout game i like all of the knockout games right the more knockout games the better yes and i will say i'm not really i would not be very concerned about the uh, the ratings thing look getting people to care about basketball at the end of november and december is a tough gig anyway The question is, do they care more and can you in the future build on that? Because this is why even that year that the, you know, the the season didn't even start until Christmas. It felt like, oh, they're actually starting at a time that people start to really tune into this stuff and start to care. Right. Like you 
we've even seen it during eight seasons of this podcast, Kevin, right? The, these first couple of months will be one thing. And then we will get to when the calendar turns and you and post Christmas and it starts to pick up. And then it really goes flying off the meter from the trade deadline on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that really from February, that, that trade deadline all-star area on to the end of the season, that's when they are locked in. It is what's going on. The only other thing going is that is, is March Madness, you know, during the weekends. And so... Anytime you are going to try to, in the fall, winter, get people to care a lot and tune in and expect to have really good ratings before Christmas, I think is you're, you're, you're going to be pushing a boulder uphill. And so I think you just keep pushing it. It's better than what we had before. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be worried about it. And I'd say, let's let it build. And hopefully you come to a time where people will care about basketball in November and December. I think. What you're saying, though, like touches on it's why I feel the season should start today. It Mm. should start in the middle of December. Right. And whether you go further in the summer. Yeah. yeah, Well, or maybe you don't. Maybe you maybe you trim to a 58 game regular season schedule or something in the 60s because it's a starter for them, though. I know they're probably they're probably not going to change the amount of games. But but if you did start today. You could get to about twenty nine games in the in early February. That like there will be about an, another twenty nine or so games by this by that point. And if you have the tournament after the Super Bowl, before March Madness, exactly at the time of year you're talking about, where interest starts to tick up in the league. To me, that's the ideal timing for this in season tournament after the Super Bowl. Before March Madness, in the middle of February, that is the prime time spot in the in the calendar that could be big for the NBA, uh, and that could just allow allow you to just own own it. You could own yeah. that month. There's nothing else at that point after the Super Bowl that is competing with you with this really cool, really awesome idea for a single elimination tournament. And then plus it leads into March Madness. It's just, it just like becomes basketball, NBA in February, NCAA in March, back-to-back months with single elimination tournaments. To me, like I think the NBA, if if I don't I know they're not gonna change from 82 games anytime soon, but I I, I still can't help but feel that that's the best timing for it. It's too late in the season if you stick to October to April. Um but if you move to November to April, November to May, like whatever, like whatever the shift is, to me February is is the absolute best time. And plus, during the NFL playoffs, if you're doing the group stage games in January, you can own the middle of the week. With the NFL having Saturdays and Sundays, you could be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, whatever the the idea is for the during the week. Um, to me, that that timing makes sense and avoiding the NFL like this year, they, they go against Monday night football and against Thursday night football. Like the scheduling was kind of weird, like a yeah. 2 PM game locally between the bucks and the Pacers on Thursday. That was strange. So also there's no, yeah, we were in the arena. There's no juice, no juice in the no, arena for that first game. No, no. it no. was a, it was like a, you know, Oh yeah, we're in Vegas. You know, we're we're gonna hang out. Let's go here see a basketball game. Yeah, and I think there, of course, there are like hardcore NBA fans there. Like there are probably a lot of people who are very online who go Not to those many. games. 
Not yeah, many. Yeah. The second game felt like basketball fans. There was a it was truly like JV and varsity in terms of the energy in the crowd. But doesn't it also speak to how important is the crowd for having the Lakers there? One That's of right. the most one of the most well traveled fan bases in the entire league. Well, also a national I think any that has a national fan base. Yes. Right. The Knicks have a national fan base. The Celtics have a national fan base. The Lakers have a nationals fan base. Right. Like any of these teams that have fans in you can't go to a city in America and not find fans of those teams. Absolutely. Right. Every every road game. Like if it's a Lakers road game, you'll see a LeBron jersey or a Kobe jersey or whatever. For it sure. Is, right. Yep. So I think that's part of it there. And the league, the league has something. They They have something. And. Um, I'm very glad it's been almost 10 years since Adam Silver first, you know, mentioned this in 2014 as something that they wanted to do. Um, the fact we're here is pretty cool. And, and I look forward to seeing the way they build it on top of it because they got something. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's 150 bucks if your team wins. On Tuesday night in the NBA, we have the Clippers riding a four-game winning streak, but the Kings are coming through town with a plus three-point spread, plus 128 money line. I'll take the Kings in that game on Tuesday night in the NBA. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and much, much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash mismatch and turn dimes into dollars this NBA season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. So we are now uh, a little over a quarter of a way through the season. And I thought it was instructive for us to go back so we can look at the standings as they stand today. But and I'm not going to go back, you know, many years. We'll just go back straight to last year as a point of reference to see what was going on on December 12th, 2022. And we obviously talk about these teams uh, tw twice a week and things change so rapidly. And sometimes you forget what things looked like when we were doing this show just a year ago. In the Eastern Conference, as of today, the standings last year were Boston, Milwaukee, three was Cleveland, four was Brooklyn, five was Philadelphia, six was New York, seven was Atlanta, eight was the Pacers, and then on uh, the outside was uh, Toronto and Miami and the Bulls, okay? So those were the teams. Now, we know the team that ended up representing the Easter Conference in the finals last year, was in ninth place this time one year ago. And they and, stayed, and of course, and they they stayed in the play. Yeah. They stayed in it. And they almost right? lost. <laughs> right. The entire way. Um, the biggest dropper from this point on was obviously Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn was 17 to 12 at that point. We know what happened with them. Uh, but they were 17 to 12 at this point. They were a home court advantage team. December 12th, 2022. 
That's crazy to think about, um, that that was their record. In the Western Conference, we had the Pelicans one, the Grizzlies two, Nuggets three, Suns four, Kings five, Blazers six, Clippers seven, Golden State eight, and then nine and ten were the Mavericks and the Jazz, followed by Minnesota, and then at 11 and 15, the Los Angeles Lakers, hmm. this time last year. Um, and even, even the Thunder were 11 and 16, and they ended up having, you know, very good season for where they are in their progression. So anyways, um, you saw a lot of teams. Obviously, the Pelicans had all kinds of injuries that were in first place at that point. And they fell back greatly. Portland, I mean, went from 15 and 12 at this point last year to a team that was selecting third in the NBA draft and ended up tanking out the rest of the way. And then we know that uh, the Lakers moved up, Minnesota moved up, Utah moved down. Um, And so we saw some of the big, you know, if we just look last year as a point of reference, there's there's inevitably going to be teams that are right now in the standings that drop down uh, from where they are right now, and there'll be teams that move up. So if you were to take a look at the NBA standings right now and the playoff race, um, I'll just give you the top 10. Uh, East, Boston 1, Orlando 2, Milwaukee 3, Philadelphia 4, Indiana 5, New York 6, Cleveland 7, Miami 8, Brooklyn 9, Atlanta 10. And in the West, Minnesota 1, Oklahoma City 2, Dallas 3, Denver 4, Sacramento 5, Lakers 6, Houston 7, Clippers 8, Phoenix 9, New Orleans 10. All right. Of those... And if you want to choose anybody that's below them, obviously you've got Golden State, Utah, Memphis as the next three in the West. You have Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte as the next three in the East. When you look at the standings right now, and we think about the way they looked in 2022, who do you think is going to move up? Who do you think is going to move down? I think the easy answer in each conference is Miami at eight, currently at 13 and 10 and then Phoenix at 9 in the standings at 12 and 10 the Suns they have not played a single minute with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal this season Beal returns on Tuesday night and with the Heat you're picking a veteran team that has been just up and down so far this year um but you'd be betting on them moving ahead of like the Knicks, who are now without Mitchell Robinson, the Cavs, who have been very inconsistent, a younger team like the Pacers, maybe the Magic slide slightly. So I think those are the two kind of safer bets to to move way up in the standings. But I I don't I don't see I think Orlando's for real. I'm I'm a big believer in their defense, as we've talked about over the course of the season so far, and in of Paulo Bancaro's development and in Franz Wagner. They have just so many good players. I don't think they're gonna fall off a cliff necessarily, in the same way that I don't think Oklahoma City or Minnesota's gonna fall off. So I think I think these teams forget, that forget are, Cliff, but do you believe in those young teams as teams that can have, you know, home court advantage teams? Do you do you think that they are that, that, that this is 
you know, we're 23, 22 games in in some cases. Um, th- those teams are in second, respectively, Orlando and Oklahoma City, two teams that haven't done this before. Yeah. Do you believe sure. in them holding on to sure. top four spots? Sure. I, I mean, I think I think with the standings so far this season, I mean, like you look at last year in the West, the difference between the Kings at the three seed uh, and the Lakers at the, the seven seed was five games. It wasn't a, a big dramatic difference between having the three seed and being in the play-in. Um, so like it, it was a big difference in the Eastern Conference last year. There was like a 13-game a difference between the three seed and the seven seeds. So I, I think I think with with the standings, they're kind of flat. Like it, there's a lot of parity in the league, and it might be a, a two or three game difference. It could be 46 wins versus 43 wins. So like that, I, I just believe in those teams to be, I guess, above 500. Uh, if that makes no, any no, sense, no, no, no. You know, you're, we're talking that that's cratering if they fall out completely. I mean, like you know, Orlando right now is nine games above 500, and uh, and Oklahoma City is eight games above 500. I'm just talking about. Do you think that they are a team that we're going to look up and could possibly hold on to home court? Yeah, advantage? that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like it could be like yes, because it could be like two, three, four games of separation. But between home court advantage as a as a two three or four, uh, and then uh, being a six a five six seven eight, like it was just the standings could be so flattened that it doesn't make that much of a difference. Well, so I'd yeah, be so, so yeah, I'd, be, so I'd think, be I'd be shocked if they were home court advantage. OKC or Orlando, correct. But why? Like I think with Oklahoma City, they have an, an all NBA guy and Shea Gildas Alexander. They have a ton of talent across their roster. Great role players. Chet Holmgren looks like the rookie of the year. They have the number five defensive rating in all of basketball. Like, like, what is it about OKC aside from youth that would make you feel that way? And same thing with Orlando. They have the number three defensive rating in the league right now. Paulo Bancaro looks significantly improved. He improved on his biggest weakness from last year with his jumper. Franz Wagner continues to get better. They are loaded with versatile defensive players who are also smart decision makers on offense. I, I think Orlando, the argument against them is a bit stronger because they don't have a Shea Gildas Alexander level talent. They don't have a top five to 10 player caliber talent in the league. But Bancaro can tap into that on some nights. Right, like I, th- I think I think Franz Wagner can tap into being a top twenty guy on some nights. So I think with Orlando, the argument's a little stronger against them. But I don't know. Both those teams are like just really, really good, man. And, and, like they're really, really good. And OKC goes back to last season with, with uh, they mentioned they got off to a little bit of a slower start. They end strong. Orlando ended strong last season. So it's not like this is just a twenty-five-ish game sample. It, does go back to last year with them ticking up, trending up at the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's just the fact that it's a, it's it's an eighty-two game season, and you know they both had. You know, I know Orlando actually. You could make the argument because of the loss of Fultz and the loss of Carter that they would be even more. Uh, more Oklahoma City's two years running on really really good health as well, Kevin. Right, and I just think that like as that season goes on there will inevitably be stretches where all of these teams struggle. And I think you've seen some of the teams that are behind them that I think are going to move up 
and play at a, maybe even a higher level than they have so far. So it's not necessarily a demerit on Oklahoma City or Orlando, for that matter. It's really about the teams that are behind them and what you think they're going to be able to do. Right, because you could you could still play at a good level, but but if those teams is this right, it's very hard to replicate fifteen and seven, fifteen and seven, fifteen and seven, right? Like I mean, that's what they've done. And so, do I think that that is the level that they are, or do I think they've played a little bit above their level? And my argument would be they have played a little bit above their level, and there are teams behind them that have not played to their level yet. That's all. Yeah. But and I do think they're both they, look, yeah. they're both great stories for sure. And it, could, and it might only be a two, three, four game difference between those records. Yeah. And I also think look, not only Phoenix, the team right behind them, New Orleans. New Orleans, you know, now that they've got their guys back, they should be able to move up. Mm-hmm. They should be able to move up from where they are. Well, especially if, if Zion plays like he did last night. Yeah, was... we're gonna get well and, and and look, clearly. Somebody's got to fall out because Memphis is going to get in there after. I mean, they got they only got three more games without John Moran, and then it's on, <laughs> and then it's on. Okay, love to get to the. Um, I actually did see them get another loss last night, but I want to talk about seeing Luca. Boy, Kevin, um, I have seen him many times in person. He is an absolute marvel to watch. He is, he, he's one of those guys that, and, and LeBron does this, Jokic does this, that. You feel like when they are engaged that you are just, you're playing the game how they want to play the game. They truly control a basketball game. And watching him last night, they didn't have Josh Green. They didn't have Kyrie Irving. They didn't have Grant Williams. They didn't have, I mean, there's, they were down a bunch of guys last night. It's, I mean, Tim, Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, he had short roster last night. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I know his shooting percentage wasn't like through the roof, but it was like watching him. It, it reminds me of watching him like when we get to international play and you don't know one other dude on the Slovenia team. And it's like, it doesn't even matter. It could be, you could throw him with four guys and <laughs> he's just so superb that you could really throw him. And, and last night, that was one of the more impressive ones I've seen because it's like, dude. He like they they threw in Jaden Hardy in there. Obviously, Lively was great, but I mean, Luca right now, I feel like is it is absolute peak of powers. He's been awesome since he came back from the, you know, having the child, um, and getting to see him in person. He he is one that I would encourage any NBA fan to go check out in person. His antics are hilarious. Um. You know, he certainly plays oh, the game with a lot of personality. The, the antics at the end of the, what was it? Oh end of the God. half, end of the third quarter. When he <laughs> the crybaby thing? Yeah, the, yeah, that was great. <laughs> so funny. Um, but, man, you can throw that dude with four anybody's. Uh, now, I think he'll probably have an uphill climb against the Lakers with four anybody's. But whether it's Slovenia or whether it was <laughs> last night, me watching him with that Mavericks team, I'm like, damn, bro. It's like him, and as long as they got him, they got a chance because you can't speed him up. You're just you're playing the way he wants to play. Pretty spectacular. It makes me really happy seeing Dante Exum out there. Dude, uh, yeah. let me tell you something. Makes me he very is happy. so much better than he has ever been. Mm-hmm. 
And if you watch, like anybody could go back and, you know, you can click on field goals made on uh, NBA and you can see all his makes. Exum last night, you know what I noticed about him that I appreciated? So they they obviously whip it around the perimeter a lot and everybody is now programmed to close out on shooters. And what happens is you get the close out, guys put it on the floor, they usually dribble once or twice, they drive with intention of kick out. Right? That's what they're doing. They're driving so that they can throw it back out. Dante Exum drove and drove all the way to the basket and either made a layup or a dunk. And it was like something I was watching like from the 90s or something because I was like, this is so refreshing. Here's a guy that actually drives to an open lane and actually takes advantage of said open lane. Everybody is now programmed to drive it and then throw it back out, even when they have an open layup. He just took the open layup or the open dunk over and over, and he had some steals. He ripped Derrick Rose at one point at the top of the key. Like I was like, damn, man, this is by far the best I've ever seen Dante Exum. And he's had some really big games recently. Yeah, and I think with Exum, like over the over the summer uh, with Beyond the Arc, when we did one of our off-season shows in July, I had on a guest, Donatus Urbonus. Uh, he's like a great analyst from basketnews.com. He's a Lith- Lithuanian, covers covers the NBA overseas. And and he talked to me about Exum because we went through some of the international guys like Vizenkov going to the Kings, Micic going to OKC, and then Exum, you know, returning to the NBA after some two really successful seasons overseas and um, talked about the improvement of, of his jump shot, the improvement of, of his of his health. And I think with Exum, you're seeing him return to Dallas. And even though he's not playing a lot, he, he's been really effective in his minutes with opportunities provided enough. I do wonder. Well, he has uh, recently. And, and, and well, he well, all, all year he's been pretty good, Chris. I, I just wonder if like he, he the uptick of minutes this past week, I wonder if he's proving, like, with the way he handles the ball, he's limiting turnovers, uh, he's hitting shots, uh, if if he's showing that he actually deserves more minutes than he was receiving earlier in the season, because he was great the last two seasons overseas, um, and it's carrying over now. Um, so I, I just wonder if, you know, Jason Kidd is going to have to, like, if he's been so good, you can't help but give him more minutes. Because to me, well, I don't he think has he's going to have to, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he has a choice to make because of Kyrie's injury. Of course. It sounds like Kyrie's going to be out for some time, yeah. so Exum's minutes are going to be there, and obviously but that's what I'm saying. other like, injuries Ky- as well. Kyrie out, like, you're going to be playing Exum more, but even when Kyrie returns, yep. if Exum continues Earned playing like this, yeah, like, how do you not play him 25-plus minutes a game? Yep. Uh, next thing, a couple of happenings uh, just from last night's game that are worth, or last night's slate that are worth mentioning. So Zion Williamson, he was the victim of our jokes and everybody else's jokes. And God bless, Stephen A. Smith just pummeled the guy yesterday on TV. Um, You know, not only was he talking about how he had a belly and about how, you know, he's 15 years younger than LeBron, but is somehow in way worse shape. And then he said, I've got sources in New Orleans that say the chefs all love him and he'll eat the whole table. And I was like, God, I mean, <laughs> it was just a, a mute, it was a character assassination. And then Zion comes out and like is bodying everybody. He's the go-to guy and just an unbelievable response. I, you know, it got to the point where, look, I like to get my jokes off just like everybody else, but 
I also like to see a, a, a redemption that after the pummeling that he took by that disastrous in-season tournament performance and the passiveness slash laziness against the Lakers, I thought a hell of a response against a team that had only lost four games coming in. Now, I know they were without Anthony Edwards, but Zion Williamson didn't care that they had Towns. He didn't care that they had Gobert. That joker is going to the basket. He has got the funniest shot chart from last night because it is just put the ball on the deck. I'm going to the basket to hell with you. And he turned up uh, last night, had a huge, huge night. And so after he had gotten dragged publicly uh, quite a bit, that was his response. And I was uh, I was pretty impressed. You know, I went back and looked, Kevin, like, you remember, I, I remember a show we did years ago where I, I think it was his rookie year or second year where it must have been his second year. Um, he like, remember when he got that rebound and like put his shoulder down and Gobert like th- flew into the third row when he was playing for Utah. And I was like, oh my God, this is when Gobert was like defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. And I was like, this guy is just like a superhero or something. <laughs> like he's just sending seven footers into the stands. Um, he's had a lot of big games against Gobert. And again, because uh, he did it, because I, I I went back and looked and I was like, didn't he do this last year? And before he got hurt, he had a 43 against Utah. Or I'm sorry, Minnesota. And then he said, and he had big games against Utah before. Um, he just bully balls. Bully balls him. And I give him credit, man. The guy got pummeled in the media and and he was a victim of all manner of jokes, but that was a hell of a response last night. And every once in a while you see, like, he's still got it in him to be that guy. It's just, can you do it, you know, it's an 82-game season, right? Not a not a one. It's precisely that, Chris. Yeah. I mean, we, we know the heights he can reach. The 36 points last night, he's unbelievably scoring with ease at the rim. It doesn't matter that you know he's going left. He's still going to get there because he's still quick off the dribble. He's still so strong. Like, he's very hard to stop, and he has great touch around the basket. Like, some of the layups he hit last night, like the layup package for a guy his size, the touch is freakish. Like, he had the one between Towns and Gobert. Like, Towns was defending him. He plows through him, Gobert over and help, and he, like, goes high off the glass. English touch was crazy like there's so few players that have that combination to do that the thing is is can he sustain it can he sustain this approach to the game and this mindset after he clearly heard the criticism how could you not hear the criticism you come back motivated wanting to prove yourself well how can you do that over the course of time and i thought what he said during his post-game presser that stuck out to me was you know he's asked about the criticism he's like well if it comes from a place of them wanting to see me be see me be better than I than I appreciate it. And and I do think most of the criticism does come from a place of wanting to see him reach his potential and understanding who he is, particularly from Charles Barkley, with him saying, I was in your spot before. I I was overweight. I had Moses Malone telling me that I was fat and lazy. And then I turned my career around. I do think most of it comes from that place like that. Like I think with Zion if he can figure it out, as again, as Barkley said, the Pelicans will become a team that nobody wants to play because they have all the other pieces, but they need their star to be a star. All right, let me ask you this. 
Should they treat him more like a star in the sense of running the, the team revolves around him? He is the best player, and he's the guy that every night should be getting 20-something shot attempts. I mean, Or can a, you not trust him? I mean, there's a lot of guys on that team that deserve 20 shots. One of the issues with Zion... I know, but there has to be a pecking order. Yeah, but one of the issues with Zion is he is... he. It doesn't have a diverse offensive skill set. Like he is still very much go left. I'm at the rim. He doesn't have a mid range game. He doesn't have a spot up three point jumper. So but people like, don't get, stop it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, guys, shoots like seventy percent. <laughs> I know. You know. I mean, if you if if, if, if if Rudy Gobert can't stop it, then who can? Shut up, Charlie. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Shut that dog up, Chris. I'm trying to. (laughs) Trying to. He didn't like my Zion take. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Prime Video. Uncontrollable frowning, an inability to smile, an expression like you just smelled something rotten. These are all signs of resting binge face caused by too many streaming services. But Prime Video ends resting binge face so you can smile again. Easily find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds, and Snakes. Get everything included on Prime. And add hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. Visit USAA.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. All right. Um, Let's get to some other happenings that took place last night. A guy that you have talked about before that you're a big fan of. Big breakout for Julian Strother. Uh, Denver gets another win. He hits like eight threes last night. It is so funny to go back. I watched him back this morning, and uh, the Atlanta announcer, Bob Rathburn, and him and Dominique Wilkins, they, they were the ones on the call on it, and they were like, whoa, this guy is hot. You know what I mean? Like, every time he touched the ball, I mean, I think he hit like seven in a row or something crazy. But Strother, he also had five steals. Yeah. In the game, active help uh, defense, especially yeah, on some, you man. know, Trey Young passes the interiors, jumping passing lanes. It was a big, big performance. Your boy Calvin Booth might have found another one. I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. Like I mean, with, with Strother, we kind of saw this last year with Christian Brown with uh, Michael Malone. Uh, he gave him minutes over the course of the season, but he never really broke out until after Bones Highland was traded at the deadline. So with Strother, he's been getting you know, some minutes here and there, and he hasn't necessarily popped yet, but he's been okay um, with the opportunities provided. But I think games like last night, um, they continue the flashes that he showed at Summer League during the preseason and showed that what he can do with a full 
a full slate, a full uh, minutes workload, 28 minutes last night. So I think with Strother, with the shooting ability, the size, the defensive a- activity, he he feels like somebody who I think by the end of the year will be looking up and he is going to be a fixture in the Nuggets, you know, eight-man rotation come playoff time. I, I'd kind of be surprised if he's not, to be honest with you. I, I just think his skill set is perfect f- to play with Jokic, play with Murray, um, and fits their needs at that position next to Christian Brown as one of the young wings on that team. All right, last thing before we get out of here. What's this DeRozan news you wanted to tell me? Uh, I mean, so there was the report this week that uh, if they don't reach a contract extension, and they are very far apart for a contract extension, that his his preference is to be traded to the Knicks or the Heat. So that that's the latest under Rosen, uh, that he could be on the move by the end of the season. Which do you like better for him and for the team? Um, I mean, I think I think for both those teams, the Mi- Miami more so. He's an upgrade, o- upgrade over Kyle Lowry. The Knicks backcourt, like if you have DeRozan and Brunson and R.J. Barrett, I think you're a little small. Um, so I do prefer the the Heat fit. But I, I was going through it, and I, like it's like you look at New York and Miami, they do make sense for DeRozan. I can see why he would want either of those teams. But like if you go through team by team across the league, like I don't, I, I was thinking about like the Lakers off the top of my head, but would you really want to trade d who's like a 40% guy from three? He's more of a playmaker yes. than DeRozan is. Yeah, you would, but you, like you're already lacking shooting. Do you want to downgrade there? And it's the same thing with like, say Dallas, like in, in, in a vacuum going from Tim Hardaway Jr. to DeMar DeRozan is an upgrade, but like Hardaway shoots almost 10 threes a game at almost 40%. Like, does he downgrade your half-court offense when the ball is going to be in Luka's hands or in LeBron's hands? So I think the other teams that would make sense to me, you know, off the top of my head, I was thinking Dallas, I was thinking L.A., but the teams that make sense, the Sixers, they could use more backcourt scoring alongside Tyrese Maxey. I was thinking about the Warriors get some more scoring instead of Chris Paul. Chris Paul's not scoring. He's just more of a passer at this point. And then maybe, like, teams that, the Sixers would be perfect. Well, well, then what? And then it would, one more because you you could give up a bunch of expirings, right? Yes, because 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 you got to imagine if they're moving DeRozan, then it's just going to be a it's going to be a sell off. Well, De- DeRozan right? isn't expiring as well, so that's part no, no, of no. This. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, if you are if you're the Bulls and you're mm. moving him, then you're trying to get rebuild pieces, right? So you're trying to get picks sure. and dropped off and and cap space. Right. Well, and like, I think that's that they could also be a team like, say, Brooklyn, a team that like maybe you trade, maybe you trade Ben Simmons and you get back an expiring into Rosen where it's not even about the player as much as getting off a guy who has an extra year left on his deal. So then you have more cap flexibility this offseason. And then with Chicago, maybe they say, you know what? Okay, we'll be the team to take a chance on Ben Simmons. Oh, um, so I, 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 I just don't, I, the point is, like, I just don't think there's, I don't think there's that many DeRozan teams. There's not many teams that make a lot of sense for him. There will be more after last night. I know they lost, but didn't that Joker have 41? Mm -hmm. He's playing like he wants to get (laughs) good value in a trade somewhere. He can still get a bucket for you, man. I know he can. I I think there'll be a bigger market than you think. No, I don't know, man. I, I, on I, an expiring, a guy yeah, that's a bucket know, like that I on know, an expiring, I know, I know, it falls I know, off. I know, and that and like that's what I just 
But but do you get what I'm saying though when it comes to like just say Dallas, right? Like you would have to give up Tim Hardaway Jr. in the trade. And I know DeRozan's better than Hardaway, but is he better for Dallas's needs? With Hardaway being a, a guy who takes almost 10 threes a game and shoots him at 38% this year, is he better for what they need? I don't know. That, that, that's where I have questions about some of those teams. The Lakers, I think the, he's a better fit. I think he is an upgrade from D'Lo, but I can see why they would rather go in a different direction. I think there's direction. a lot of teams that look at it and go like, all right, it's worth the chance. You yep. think Dallas is when the title is they're currently constructed? Come on. Here's the one thing I'd say about about DeRozan this year when it comes to that three-pointer. He is shooting a career-high 2.7 three-point attempts per game, and he's hitting 37% of them. That's like shooting 100 if you're another guy, because the guy... I know. <laughs> look at progress. So I, I think with DeRozan, like last night, he takes six of them, and he, and he makes three. So I think I, I do think he he seems to be prioritizing shooting more threes. So I think if you're another team and if you can get him up to three attempts or four attempts per game, then maybe it makes sense. Where if, if he's actually willing to take those spot up three point jumpers, and whereas in past years he he has not been you know much of a three point shooter in any regard, off the dribble or off the catch. Yeah, it's not going to be long until we're getting into uh, all the big trade talk, because now that we're a quarter of the way through the season, usually something hits in December and then something will hit in January. And then obviously floodgates open in February for trade season. Uh, all right, Kevin, I will talk to you later this week. Thank you to our executive producer, Jesse Lopez, as always. And Kevin, I'll talk to you on Thursday. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call one 800 with it in Indiana. Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call one 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little 
sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 